Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Friday, May 3rd, special edition of Bang the Book Radio. We're going to chat UFC on ESPN Plus 9, also known as UFC Fight Night 151, with Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast. A lot to talk about here with this card, especially a pretty solid main card here for this one. If you missed it earlier in the week, on Wednesday, our Kentucky Derby podcast with Brian Blessing, a phenomenal listen. You definitely want to hear that one. My Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby previews are over at bangthebook.com. Also daily MLB, NBA, NHL, lots of good stuff going on over there at the website. Another edition of the Betters Box comes your way on Monday, including another edition of the Monday Mailbag. So at Skating Tripods on Twitter or Adam at bangthebook.com to send me questions for that. All right, we'll go ahead and dive in here with our UFC preview with Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Christian, how's it going today, man? Good, man. Big week for your boy over here. I turn uh, 30 on Thursday. We have UFC of the weekend. We have um, MLB over here, of course. So a lot of stuff going on. Great time, as always, to be in Vegas. Yeah, not a uh, not a bad place to turn 30. I will tell you it's all downhill from there, obviously, as you know, everyone's going to tell you that. But uh, happy birthday, brother. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Any uh, any big plans? You know, 30's tricky, man. It's, it's, you know, yeah, 30's <laughs> tricky because the hangover is too damn long. <laughs> You're telling me, man. It's, you know, you feel like you, you see that in the mirror. You see, you feel it differently. Like, I'm going to wake up different all of a sudden. I don't know. But no, um, plans wise, no, nothing yet, man. Keep it low key. I think my, my Hakkasan club raging days are well behind me. So definitely more into the maybe cigar, whiskey type of deal for the 30th, I think. There you go, man. Keep it classy for sure. All right, let's go ahead and dive into this Fight Night 151 card. This one up in Canada. That will be our starting point here. I'm going to be pulling odds from DSI Sportsbook. You can use that promo code BTB, the number 200, to get a 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook and a 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino. Bet DSI, it's only a game until you bet it. And let's revisit what we talked about last week, Chris, at the tail end of our breakdown for last week's UFC event. Canadian judging is very interesting. Yeah, it is the 
What I would say worst, uh, or at least I want to say worst, but it is the most jaded for their hometown fighters. Um, you can attribute that to maybe the Canadian crowds being the best and, and being able to influence judges and, and styles like that are always, you know, a part of the handicap. I'm not going to sit here and say it's crooked. They just really favor the Canadian style. So you can kind of take what, you know, take what you want away from that and make your own conclusions and breakdowns. Um, but it's just something with, you know, when it's Canadian versus Canadian, for example, it's not really something you have to think about unless you can, you know, one style has been proven to be favorable to Canadian judges. In that case, obviously you would, you know, lean towards that one, but that's kind of the case with anybody. But um, I believe we have two Canadian versus Canadians. Uh, we have three, four, five, six, uh, wow, seven Canadian versus American. I don't see that a lot. Um, and so, you know, maybe at the end of the night, you check the scorecards and Canadians are a little bit lopsided. Um, you'll know why, you know. I will say, I mean, it's a very prideful country. I mean, when, when they get, you know, when they get hometown kids that, you know, are playing in Toronto or, or even, you know, get the chance to draft a Canadian kid on baseball or, you know, basketball, something like that. I mean, there's a lot of fanfare, a lot of excitement for that. So it definitely does make sense. Again, it's not a conspiracy theory or anything like that. It's just, you know, kind of the way that uh, we've sort of seen things play out here in the UFC. So let's go ahead and start with this main event here. This one is the headline fight Al Iaquinta and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, what do you think about this one here with you know, a pretty even line for this one, basically a, a little bit more than a coin flip type scenario with Iaquinta the favorite? Yeah, when you look like a, you look at a guy like Iaquinta, I mean, these are two of the most you know fan favorite uh, fighters in the UFC's roster. To see them matched up here, it is you know with what's going on with the lightweight rankings, it's it's you know it didn't look like it was going to be possible, but, but this one is kind of for the fans more than anything. These guys always want to go out there and and put on a show, right? I mean, two, uh, UFC two twenty three. I mean, Iaquinta went in there and stepped up um, to face Khabib. I mean, he got you know he held his own. I, I will say that his first loss in his last six fights. Put up a fight, and it was a respectable decision, and that's really a moral victory against the Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? So, you know, he's he's in great form. Um, you know, got back to to winning with um, beating Kevin Lee in a decision. When you look at the other side here, Cerrone is stepping, you know, back down to lightweight. Um, he was amazing, had a career resurgence at welterweight, but people really need to take into consideration here, you know. People thought Cerrone's career was coming to an end, if not over, with the form he was in the last time he was at lightweight. And it wasn't until he made that jump up that he really got it back together, had the like, resurgence, like I said, and was able to you know, begin the next leg of his career. Uh, truthfully, I'm not really sure why he you know, maybe feels he can do with what he's willing to do and how active he wants to be. Um, maybe he feels he's kind of done all he can there. If, you know, title aspirations are a little bit murky for a guy like him, who I think we, he knows who he is and, and being self-aware is huge, but the UFC does as well. And, and once the fight with, with, uh, McGregor and Cerrone kind of, you know, lost its, its possibility of happening due to the fact that, uh, Dana, uh, Dana White wouldn't sign off on Cerrone and McGregor being the main event or the co-main event because there wasn't a championship involved, uh, which doesn't make the most business sense to me, but neither here nor there. Um, you know, this is going to be a really, this one's going to stay on the feet. There's going to be no grappling. So if you're a fan of that style, boxing, striking, uh, you're going to love this fight. Uh, this one, like I said, should only see the mat if, if somebody falls down and there's ground and pound on top of Cerrone, as always, the kicks are going to be his bread and butter. Um, he needs to stick and move, stay at distance. He's going to be the aggressor here while a guy like, um, Iaquinta is going to really look to be the counterpuncher and find a home for that heavy right hand. So as we look at Cerrone here, I mean, you know, he had lost four or five, then picks up back-to-back -back wins here over Perry and Hernandez. I mean, is this a sign of maybe a second wind in his career? 
you know, at this stage with Cerrone, I think where this would be the third chapter if he decides to stay there, right? There was always, you know, I look at his career as kind of, it's hard because he's so active and there's so many fights, right? So, you know, how do you make that distinction? But for me, you know, there was really the front end of his um, lightweight career in the beginning when he was coming up. There was the back end that you know, really saw him, like I said, not look good, struggle to make that weight, deplete himself and really fall off the map to the peep that people you know, point that people thought he was going to be done in the UFC soon. And, and so that's kind of one and two. I would look at the third act to be his welterweight, um, you know, run and what he was able to do with that resurgency. So um, what this to me, I guess, would be his fourth version of himself. But we'll see what happens in, in his plans to stay here or not. All right. So let's move on to this middleweight fight here. I know you've got a, a stronger opinion about this one. Elias Theodore takes on Derek Brunson. Brunson a minus 120 favorite. So again, a closely lined fight, little more than a coin flip on the Brunson side here at $1.20. Tell me what it is about this fight that you find so intriguing. Oh, man, I have a love affair with Elias Theodoro, and I know he's a good looking guy, but that's not where I'm going with this. He is the most boring fighter in the UFC. Let me get that out of the way. If you want action, if you want exciting fights, this is not your guy. I need to say that now. He is out of the Frankie Edgar, um, Sergio Pettis, uh, I would say Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Tyron Woodley, uh, even Cormier to an extension. He is has incredible, impeccable fight IQ, which, as you know, I value more than anything. He kicks. He runs away for a minute. And he wins the most boring decision every single time out there. And you can't ask for more from a guy with your money when you're going to put it behind him. As you know, I look to eliminate variance. That's why I look for overs. Elias Theodoro fights are the epitome of zero or I should say less variance, as much as you can eliminate in a sports like a sport like mixed martial arts. Um, but I just love his style. I love how smart he is. And truthfully, I love how boring he is because he knows exactly what judges want to see. He outvolumes, he sticks and moves, and it's just to the point. I mean, this is really not to mention the fact he is Canadian. So if there is any doubt, which there has been in the past, whether he won a decision or not, because he throws such little volume, um, you know, this is an opportunity to have those Canadian judges work for you here a little bit. And I mean, when you look at this, this is a little bit striker versus grappler, right? I mean, he has the advantage over a guy like Brunson in every striking category, significant strikes, accuracy, even striking defense. Um, but he really is going to struggle a little bit when it comes to grappling. You know, how many, you know, um, Brunson's going to go for more takedowns. Um, he's even a little bit better at it. It's not going to really affect him there. But it's just, um, it, it's a really good stylistic matchup because Theodoro is so poised. He's going to avoid the takedowns of Brunson by being at distance. He's going to avoid the hands by being at distance. And this should be a really vintage Elias Theodoro fight. And not to uh, besmirch Theodoro at all, but when you look at the recent opponents for these guys, I mean, Brunson's fought much stronger competition. Eight of his last nine fights ending in the first round. So obviously you kind of wonder about his gas tank as this thing gets deeper into the fight. But you know, what about that? I mean, what about the fact that Brunson just by and large appears to be more battle tested with better opponents? He does for sure. But here's the thing. I mean, like you said, the cardio Brunson's had issues and Theodoro is the king of it. He has probably well, some of the best cardio in the UFC and he uses it to his advantage. He literally throws a kick you know, and then runs away and makes a fighter chase him for the rest of the round. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world if you bet against him. 
Uh, and it's the best thing in the world when you bet on him if you're only looking for, you know, wins and losses, which is the point here. Look, I get that Brunson has fought the better competition. I just don't think he has, you know, the cardio advantage that you just spoke about is going to come into play and be such an advantage here uh, with this game plan that, you know, Theodore's figured out. Look, four and one in his last five. He's really kind of mastered this style and it is going to be incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, there's going to be a point where somebody's can, you know, is going to be able to match his cardio. But this—that's the stylistic point that I'm talking about. Brunson isn't that guy, so it's a great matchup for Theodora. Out of curiosity, if this fight's not in Canada, let's say this is a fight in, you know, maybe Brazil or the UK or something like that. What type of line are we looking at? I mean, can you sort of quantify how much home, for lack of a better term, home cage advantage is in this line for Theodora? Yeah, yeah, man, you know, Brunson has the name value, right? And I don't, you know, that would be an interesting topic. There's, um, you know, guys out there, Nick Kalikakis, former um, odds makers and stuff for MMA to see kind of how they quantify it. To me, look, there, you know, when it only comes into play in the form of a decision. So is stylistically this a type of fighter that goes to decision? In this case, yes. So to me, it's a safety net. Uh, more than anything, because again, Theodoro has proved that he has won controversial split decisions every step of the way in every single country, not just Canada. So maybe I would say, you know, ooh, 20 cents difference, maybe. Okay. No, I was just curious. I mean, it's it's something that, you know, obviously we see very clearly in, in a lot of other sports, but, you know, when it comes to MMA, I think it's a, a little bit harder to figure out yeah. exactly how much that's factored in, especially because, as you said, it has no bearing unless you get to the scorecards. Yeah. You know, I don't have the best answer for you. Again, to me, I quantify it. I only look at it when when I think a fight is going to go to two decision, just to, again, eliminate a little bit more advance, not kill myself trying to, you know, figure out what styles Canadian judges like. It's just, you know, it's only so many hours in the day type thing. But if it were me personally making this line, um, I would say 20 difference, uh, 20 cent difference if he wasn't in Canada. All right, so we take a look at the next fight on the card here. And again, this is a pretty strong main card overall. The second of two featherweight fights on the board. Cub Swanson, Shane Burgos. Burgos, a minus 175 favorite here. Is the chalk going to hold up in this one, Christian? Yeah, this has fight of the night written all over it. This one should be violence personified. If you hate Elias Theodoro type of fights, luckily for you, they put that one after. So you can, you know, have a bathroom break after what should be can't miss uh you know, a type of fight that is two guys standing and banging um, and two guys who want to put on a show. Uh, Cub Swanson, there was a quote out there. He called this fight a uh, beautiful destruction, and it really will be that. Look, philosophically, when you have a firefight, you should always kind of look towards the underdog first from a long-term betting perspective. Um, But, you know, this is, Cub is a guy I think kind of been there, done that. Um, while Burgos is still trying to find his way and is on, I don't want to say find his way because he's been so successful, but he's still on the come up a little bit, right? Swanson has had opportunities, championships, you name it. I mean, Burgos win over Cater really says, you know, so much. I feel like both of those guys are top five in the division, but they were, you know, prior to them fighting um, in that amazing fight, but even more so now for, Bo- for Burgos. And what I mean by that is maybe Burgos, in my estimation, is more, you know, maybe number three, four, while um, Cater's right behind him. So I know he struggled a little bit, but I just feel there's so much potential there. Um, look, this, you know, philosophically, this one challenges me a little bit because if Burgos is able to be, you know, composed, use his huge reach advantage that he has here, um, he's going to be able to catch, you know, Cub Swanson and more so on the counter striking side. I think that Swanson is going to use that experience, that veteran savvy 
to be the aggressor, uh, but Burgos just has to be able to pick his spots here. So this one, you know, I have more of an opinion from a an entertainment perspective, uh, but it's a little bit mirror images of the main event with, you know, Cubs going to be the aggressor using that veteran know-how while Burgos is going to be looking to counterpunch and catch him. You know, can the outside happen of Burgos winning a decision? Yeah, sure. Um, in my estimation, Swanson's more likely to win that outcome. Burgos probably does need a knockout, but he has shown that he is more than willing and, and happy to do that. And both of these guys want to stand and bang. So, um, you know, the technical side of it, Swanson a little bit better just about everywhere, just because he's so much more accomplished at age 35 than Burgos at 28. Um, but, you know, Burgos has the physical advantage there, 5'11", five inch reach advantage. And again, Cub two and three in his last uh, five while Burgos sitting there at four and one. So one on the come up, one kind of been there, done that. I'll always side with the more hungry fighter. You know, we talked about this um, with um, when we were going, I forget it was the last fight with uh, Marshall, right? So um, just philosophically, a little bit of a, of a conundrum there if you're like underdogs in firefights. Well, and this is one of those two. I mean, as somebody who doesn't follow UFC nearly as closely as you do, I see a minus 175 fighter against a guy that's fought Frankie Edgar twice, that's fought Max Holloway, that's fought you know Brian Ortega. Swanson's kind of been through the gauntlet here of what you know this division has to offer, and he's a severe underdog in this fight. And, and sort of you know sort of reading between the lines, so to speak, that kind of points me in the direction of Burgos as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about this sport. But just looking at you know the historical opponents for both guys, looking at, as you mentioned, one guy coming up, one guy going down, I think this line is pretty telling in and of itself. Completely. Um, I mean, we look, Cub Swanson's on a three-fight losing streak, but when you break that down, oh, okay, so you look at that and say, uh, well, that looks bad. Maybe he's you know over the hill. He's there for the paycheck. Well, when you look at who he lost to, um, he got submitted by Brian uh, Ortega, which everyone has been submitted by Brian Ortega and not to Moicano, the same thing. And just about everyone in this division has lost a decision to Frankie Edgar. So, you know, he's lost to the best of the best. That is for sure. Um, but Burgos is, like I said, licking his lips, you know, for this is probably the biggest matchup of his career. Um, you know, like I said, the, the TKO one against Cater really kind of hurt. But this is, you know, bounce back after. So he he's shown the propensity to be able to come back. And I just I feel so highly of him that I think he knows how big this is. But, yeah, I completely agree. Philosophically, this one's a little bit challenging. All right, so we move to the Bantamweight division here. Brad Katona, who's a plus 150 dog in this fight. Are, are there any attractive dogs on this card? I mean, is he one of them? Yeah, we're going to get to a couple dogs here um, shortly. But look, I, I think it's largely... This fight is very, very simple to me. And I think this one is chalk again. And I hate to say that again, especially against a Canadian in Katona. Uh, but here, you know, especially in a fight that I think could go to decision... This one is very, very simple. Striker versus grappler. If Divalishi is able to get takedowns, he's going to win this fight. And, you know, even maybe with some slanted Canadian judging, it's a 29-28 when it should be a 30-27. Um, but I am you know, would be willing to kind of live with that. I mean, Katona is on fire, right? 5-0. and oh. Stylistically, though, he hasn't really faced takedown artists like Divalishi and what he's going to be able to accomplish. Um, but if Katona can find a hand for those hands, or find a home for his hands, he you know, could knock out Divalishi along the way for sure. But more than likely, either way here, I think this one goes to decision um, or, you know, my opinion, Divalishi more likely uh, for the sub uh, submission as well. All right, so heavyweight fight here. Walt Harris thought he was going to fight Alexi Olenek. Obviously, Olenek on that previous card that we talked about. So now he's got a different fighter here. And Sergey Spivak, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, Spivak in his UFC deb debut here. 9-0, undefeated as a professional. Um, you know, 
people who haven't seen him on the regional senior done, you know, quote unquote tape study, you are in for a treat with a guy like Spivak. He is a knockout artist that you would think when you look at him, but he has four knockouts in five submissions. Um, you know, he is looking to make a mark on this UFC heavyweight division that is, you know, kind of ripe for the taking. And I really think he is special enough to make his mark and can really do some great things here. He is, you know, again, don't expect this fight to, to see the judges in my estimation. I think, you know, kind of round props aren't open yet, hoping for a two and a half to maybe short that and go under because this one should be a fire fight start to finish and should end in a knockout either way. Um, I guess, you know, could end a submission. That's definitely more on the Spivak side, um, but he has been impressive. Again, when you finish every single one of your 9-0 and fights and then come into the UFC's heavyweight division, um, you know, sometimes that's, you know, depending on what regional scene you're fighting on, um, that can be very inflated or it cannot be. And then even if it is inflated, um, at least he is doing what he's supposed to. You can only beat who is in front of you. Right. And you can only do it. So, so, um, you know, so astounding. And, and that's what a, you know, in theory, in sports, that's what a market is. That's what a point spread is designed to do. Are you outperforming the market? And I'm here to tell you, Spivak is outperforming the market every step of the way. So really do sign with the underdog. All right, well, what about the last card or the last fight here on the main card? Mark Andre Barrio against Andrew Sanchez. You know, we've kind of been looking for some underdogs to kind of latch on to a little bit. You think that this could be one of those fights with Sanchez, the minus 160 favorite? Yeah, um, going back to back underdogs here after going all chalk in the main card. Look, this to me is the, I really don't want to say don't, I don't get this line. Um, when I look at a guy like Barrio, this is everything you want in a situational spot. Again, fighting in Canada in Canadians, this is probably the fighter they are most eager to see in the UFC. Burial, he's arriving as the TKO MMA middleweight champion, 11-1 record, eight knockouts, eight fight winning streak. He is the real deal. Um, it's, you know, it, I think that this is every punch he throws is going to be ooze. Oz. He's going to have probably the biggest ovation because he's so well known there on that regional scene coming up, making a UFC debut is huge. Like you said, Canada, prideful country. They're pride in their guys. This is going to be on display here for a guy like Barrial. This again, not to sound like a broken record, very much uh, striker versus grappler. Sanchez is going to do what he always does in a Sanchez fight. He's going to try and keep um, Barrial down and keep him there the whole time, looking for either you know uh, submissions, ground and pound, any way to stop it, or just have enough control for a decision. I don't see him being able to do that. Um, uh, to me, this is a burial KO. I can, you know, kind of visualization here. You see it. You see fans go crazy. It's going to be an incredible moment in the cage. And I just, you know, I, I'm not really sure why he's the underdog here. Sir Sanchez is a little bit, um, you know, he does, you know, everything okay, nothing great. I mean, three and two UFC record, okay, nothing. You know, he he's definitely fought the more you know better competition. I mean, uh, Khalil Roundtree, Trevor Smith, Anthony Smith. Um, Jane's Marcus Perez, but Burial has looked better every step of the way. I'm not worried the lights will be too bright for him because they are comfy lights in the confines of being at home in Canada with crowd support behind him, um, not in enemy territory by any means. That distinction is actually going to be made for Sanchez. So I think a fantastic price and a great moment and situational spot for a guy like Burial to get a knockout here. All right, so as we look over the rest of this Fight Night 151 card, anything on the prelims that kind of stands out to you at all? Yeah, look, I'll just kind of go rapid fire for you, Shays. Um, I mean, it's not often you see a fighter, a female fighter making a um, short notice replacement a month in and becomes the minus 700 favorite. But that to me is, you know, Chase has 
every type of finishing power the UFC wants out of their women. Um, and that's a when, not if. I think she starches uh, very, very early um, in the stages. So an under uh, stock maybe, you know, going under in a, in a price market that maybe is going to overvalue overs because it's women makes some sense. But I can't imagine the market is going to look past the finishing power Shazon has. Um, on down through the line, look, making it simple again, um, Nordin Taleb. Just better in every situational spot. You're actually getting a little bit of a discount, I believe, on the heavy chalk at minus 335 because he's you know lost two straight coming into this fight. Um, but Prakalek does nothing well, um, and Talib, Talib does everything just better than him. Um, that's really any, not much um, else on this card, so that makes a ton of sense. Um, Zahabi looking to get back on track at minus 155 makes some sense, but those are the biggest prelim angles that I can kind of come up with for you. All right, so we do have an event next week, UFC 237 down in Brazil. We'll talk about that one. We'll record that one a day earlier next week. We'll do that one actually on thir- on Wednesday, so it'll come out on Thursday along with the betters box. But I want to ask you about something well into the future here first. UFC 241. Looks like we're getting Cormier and Stipe Miocic once again. That line, if it's not already out somewhere, and I'm, I'm sure it probably is, will be coming out sooner rather than later. What do you think about the rematch? Do you think it can go any differently than the first one? One word, and that's over. Wrestler versus wrestler, chain wrestling. If you don't, if you like striking, this fight's not for you. Um, very likely to go decision. Uh, my my initial thought would be praying that the round prop isn't hung at four and a half. Um, I don't see how this goes much different. Truthfully, I, I think we, you know, maybe the, you know, Stipe is a really polarizing fighter, right? I mean, you look at everyone counting him out, um, and you know. Every every way along the way against Nagano, he was the underdog, and then Cormier. So he's really polarizing in that regard. But I just look fight IQ. I hold in such high regard. That one's very interesting because you're seeing two guys at the highest level of fight IQ. I just to me, you know, Cormier is number one far and away. I would put Woodley two, um, Wonderboy. Um, I know coming off a knockout loss, get clipped. That happens three. Um, but you know, in, in Stipe there as well. Um, so. It's really tough to tell it at first glance how things can be different, but it's going to be an exciting fight, a marquee fight. You know, UFC always tries to do one of those a summer for a super fight, and and now that they've lost McGregor, it seems uh, Brock Lesnar just retired from the sport. Told him, told uh, Dana White he's done. They had to put something together, so people will love that one. It has the name value, so it's a good good business decision. But I don't see how it goes much different. Um, I, this Cleveland guy is hoping it goes different. You know, I, I grew up about ten minutes from where Stephen Mills is a firefighter, so and a paramedic, so. <laughs> I'm definitely hoping for uh, for the underdog to come through there in that one. Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast, his preview for this fight night card over at bangthebook.com. Make sure you check that out. Christian, always appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, man. Enjoy the fights. There you go. There's Christian Pina again from the Sports Gambling Podcast. That'll do it for me. Make sure you check out another, the new edition, I should say, of the betters box on Monday, my MLB betting podcast and all the great written work over at bangthebook.com. That's it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Monday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.